Okay, so I want to, uh, we have been talking about, what have we been talking about over the last while? Matthew 5, 6, and 7, what is this teaching of Jesus? How, what do we know? What, the Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount over the last while, and there is so much richness in that talk of Jesus, those teachings of Jesus. And, uh, I, I, but I felt like over this Christmas period, I want to just take a bit of a break for it as we lead in, into Christmas. But I'm going to come back to it again in the new year um, because there is so much in there that uh, I believe God wants us to unpack. Uh, and not just for the, the, uh, the point of unpacking it, but for the point of going, how are these teachings applicable to my life right here, right now? And so the next section uh, is on lust. And then it's on divorce. So I thought, well, I'll leave that for before Christmas. We'll come back to it in the new year. Now you're all not going to come back till March. Right. I know. <laughs> okay. We're going to come back to that in the new year. We'll cycle back. But our next three gatherings, I want to talk about the hope, the joy, and the love that we have in Jesus. Um, Advent is a time where Christians are reminded that the Messiah who has come to us uh, on that first Christmas morning so long ago when we come to this period of time, this Advent season, it's a reminder that He will come again. However bad things might get in your life, you know, however challenging it might be, however hopeless a situation might seem, how, however despairing, you know, when I look at the news and I look at the state of humanity on the planet, it sometimes just breaks my heart. But Advent is a time that reminds us that it will not always be this way. God has not given up on us. I know sometimes it feels like, where are you, God? Like, where are you, Lord? Like, like, I don't, you know, and it feels like, you know, you know, we look around us and we see what's going on in the world and we see the state of, you know, society and it feels to me like it's crumbling in many respects. And people are dying and there's war and there's threats of war and there's disease and anger and tensions and hostility and all this stuff is going on. And sometimes it feels like, God, it feels like you've abandoned us. Where are you? But that isn't true. And we reminded ourselves of that this morning as we sang some of those songs. And we, used, we sang that word Emmanuel, that name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us and he will always be with us. And a time is coming when he will bring his kingdom in all of its fullness. And we've been talking about this invitation to the kingdom, this teachings, these teachings of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is not a place somewhere. It's about the rule and the reign of God in our lives. It's about His rulership in our lives. And so the fullness of that is going to come where God will make the world as it was supposed to be. He will restore and redeem. He will make the world right. We have a reassurance, I believe, of that. And the thing that reassures me is the fact of our faith. We have a faith that has withstood centuries. We have a church, the church of Jesus Christ, that is still standing. Despite all of the trauma over 2,000 years, 20 centuries, the church still stands. And for me, that's reassurance that God is with us. But equally, our reassurance rests in whether we believe Jesus to be the Christ or not. Whether we have made that choice to follow Jesus and to live out his teachings and commit to a life of repentance and transformation and hope. 
And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about hope. So we're going to go to the book of Luke um, and uh, look at this hope that we're supposed to have. So uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through to 32. I'm going to read through these couple of verses over here. And um, the background to this is that Mary and Joseph were taking Jesus to the temple. Okay, that was the, that was the Jewish law. The customary law uh, for Jews was to take their baby to be dedicated. So they were taking Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. And so Luke writes here and he says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. And he was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. Now, Israel for quite some time now had been inconsolable. And here's Simeon, a righteous, devout man, looking to the, forward to the consolation of, of Israel. And, and, and the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And so guided by the Spirit, Simeon comes to the temple where Mary and Joseph have brought the baby, Jesus. And they were going to do what was customary under the Lord to dedicate him. And it says that Simeon, the Holy Spirit, had directed Simeon to the temple. And Simeon's in the temple, and he comes to Mary and Joseph, and he takes the baby. He takes the baby into his arms. And something happens within him. He takes that baby, and as he looks at that baby, he praises God. He begins to praise God, and he says, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. Simeon's like, I can go now. I have seen him. I can die at peace. I can die happily. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. In other words, which you have prepared with a view towards all people. All people will see this, this revelation, will see your salvation to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So, I don't know how many times you might have read this passage of Scripture, but I just want to quickly go to the, just to the backstory over here, just a bit of a, a background and just remind us, you know, that um, God's plan of salvation really began with, with Abraham when he called Abraham out of Ur. And he said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start a new people. I'm going to start a new nation. And I'm going to bless your descendants. And he said to Abraham, you know, your descendants are going to be like more than the, the, the grains of sand on the, on the seashore. They're going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And I'm going to bless them. You're going to be blessed uh, to be a blessing. You will be a blessing. I'm raising up this people to be a blessing to other nations, other peoples. And so God's plan was to make this new people, this new nation, to be a light on a hill, to be a beacon of hope to the world by the way in which they lived and by what they believed. That was going to be attractive to all these other people, attractive to the other nations. So, that, so the Israelites would draw these other nations towards them, draw these other peoples into the same covenant that they had with Yahweh. That was the plan. And so the covenant was that if they walked with God in this way, then he would make them a beacon of hope, a light to the world, blessed to be a blessing. But God also said to them, if you don't walk in my ways, if you're consistently disobedient, well, then you're not going to be blessed. And those other nations that you're called to bless, well, instead of blessing them, 
you're going to land up in exile. You're going to land up under the authority of those pagan nations. They're going to rule you. Now, I don't know how many of you have the Old Testament, and if you've read the Old Testament, you'll know that the Israelites were not very good at keeping covenant with God, were they? They just they couldn't get their act together. And over and over again throughout history, God makes these attempts to bring, bring them back in. But the problem with the Israelites is they just wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted to be like the world around them. Right? God's trying to lead them back. He's trying to call them back. He raises up all these prophets and priests and says, come back to me. And, and they don't want to listen. They walk away from God. They walk away from Yahweh and they begin to go after the pagan gods. They begin to go after the idols of these other nations. And so by the time of Jesus, the Israelites had been in exile and under the authority of pagan nations for eight centuries. By the time of Jesus, eight centuries. And this is why they were inconsolable. They were inconsolable because they were under the authority of these other nations. And at the time of Jesus, you'll know that, that it was under the authority of Rome. Rome was the invading force. And, and, and the Romans, if you go and look at history, were brutal. And, 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 and they were under this, this occupation. And, and, and for the Jews, you know, especially devout Jews at the time of Jesus... It was, it was an, an offense to them. It was offensive for them because they worshiped the one true God. But here they are under the authority of these, these pagan people who have all these other little gods that they worship. So it was offensive to those who were devout. If you're a, a devout Jew, it just didn't seem right. And they longed for a time when it would be right, made right. But as you see in the Old Testament, they'd come to the place of realizing that they couldn't do it on their own. They, they knew that they couldn't get themselves compliant with the law. They, they, they couldn't enjoy the blessings of, of the law. So as you begin to read these prophets, you begin to see that, they, 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 that God was beginning to unfold a plan over here. They knew that their only hope to get things right with God would be in a Messiah. God was going to have to come back and, and get Israel back on the right path. And, and he was going to do it by the means of a Messiah. Messiah just means anointed one, anointed one, the Messiah. That's what Christ means. It's Christos, the Greek word. It means Messiah. It means the anointed one. Too many people these days think it's Jesus' surname. It's not. It's not his surname. It means Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed one, Jesus the Messiah. And so, so when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus the Messiah. So next time you hear somebody saying Jesus Christ and it's used in an abusive way, just say to them, oh, I agree with you. He is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. See what they, see what they say. Who knows? Might open a door. Might start a conversation. I don't know. Anyway, so the Jews believed that this anointed one, this coming Christ, would be the one in whom the promises of God would be fulfilled. They believed that he was going to deliver them from captivity. They saw this Messiah, they thought he was going to be like a king who would like throw off the chains of the Roman Empire. They believed he'd be the consolation of Israel. They believed he'd be the one who would restore Israel so that they could once again be the light to the other nations. So that once again, they could be, that he would bless Israel so that they could be a blessing to the other nations. They could be a blessing to the peoples around them. So Simeon, at some point in his life, had been promised by God. He had this promise. I don't know how that happened, but he had some encounter with God 
where he knew the Spirit of God spoke to him and said that he was not going to die until he saw the Messiah. He's not going to die until he saw the Messiah. And so you can imagine he lives his whole life with this hope. And at this point in, this, in these verses that we've just read, he was an old man. Simeon was hanging on to this hope. I don't want to die until I see the Messiah. I don't want to go. I, want to, I don't want to die until I have the assurance that God is going to fulfill his promises. That the suffering of my people, that the suffering of Israel is not going to go on forever and ever and ever. I don't want to die before I see it. That was his hope. And so the Spirit of the Lord leads him to the temple. And as he holds this baby Jesus, by means of the Holy Spirit, something happens here, deep in here. And he sees, this is the one. This is the Messiah. And, 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 and Simeon's hope was in Jesus. He could, see, he could see a story here. Simeon's hope was not with what Jesus would do with him as an individual in the afterlife. It was about how Jesus, as the embodiment of, of Israel's identity and mission, was going to be the means which, which God was going to fulfill his promises. This is what he could see, that God was going to fulfill his promises in, the, in history, in the here and now. Now, I'm, I'm going to do my message this morning, but I'm just going to put a little warning around it because some of it may be new to you or some of what I say today might be different to what you've been taught, what you've grown up with in church or what you've heard before. Um, and I'm just going to say to you, you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to. You don't have, honestly, we won't fight about it. You don't have to agree with me, but all I'm going to ask this morning is that you keep your heart and and open and just say, okay, God, you can sieve it out. Okay. Is that okay? Okay. The question I want to ask this morning is, what, was, what is the salvation that Simeon was hoping for? What was the content of Simeon's hope? And is our hope the same? What do we hope for? How is Jesus your hope? You know, I think most Christians would say, um, you know, the hope that I have in Jesus is that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Yeah? I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I think most Christians would say that. <laughs> so I think that, I, think that, I think that a lot of Christians, when you say to them, what is your hope? What is your hope in Jesus? A lot of them would answer that by saying, well, my hope in Jesus is that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Have you heard that before? You know, why do you become a Christian? So I'm going to go, be to, be, go to heaven when I die. And, and I'd, I would have to agree with, with your thinking if that's what you think. And uh, I think there's a lot in Scripture that would back that up. You know, certainly Paul, uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of places like in Philippians chapter 1 where he says, you know, he says, says to the Philippians, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure whether it's better for me to stay with you or whether it's better for me to go and be with God, right? And, and Paul at that time was locked up in prison. He was facing possible execution. And then he says to them, he says, but personally, I'd rather go and be with the Lord, but for your sake, I'll stay. He said, personally, I'd rather go and be with the Lord. So that indicates to me that Paul must have held this belief that when he died, he would go and be with the Lord in some way. And so I agree with that. I actually believe that there is a a, a consciousness after death. I believe that. I know some Christians, though, who believe, and again, they take it from the New Testament. In fact, some of the stuff that Paul's written, they say, oh, well, no, you just go to sleep. That's a, you're asleep until the end of the age, until the resurrection. But I think there's too much in the Bible that tells us that there is some type of consciousness post 
the end of, of, of your physical life. And I think that's quite comforting, actually. Um, I, I have actually done quite a few funerals in my life, and it's quite comforting to be able to, uh, especially with believers, be able to say to a family, you know, that, um, that, that your loved one is in, in the hands of a loving God, and, and, and he, he loves them more than you could ever dream of. So I believe that there is, in some sense, there is, a, there, is a, there is a life, there is a consciousness after death. And that's comforting. That's good news. But it's not the good news. That's not what the New Testament speaks about when it speaks about heaven. The hope of the New Testament is not that our spirit or our soul is going to go to heaven, even though it does. That's not the main focus. You see, there's a lot of Christian thought and there's a lot of contemporary thinking around the end times and around uh, life after death. And I've come across so many Christians who believe that our salvation and our hope is an escape from this world. It's like, I'm out of here. When the body dies, it goes to heaven. And so this kind of thinking has led Christians to conclude that what Jesus is going to do is he's just going to come back and he's going to take us away. He's going to come back and rescue us, take us out of this world. Now, the New Testament uses a lot of uh, language. There's a variety of language. There's, there's meta metaphoric language. There's a lot of imagery, really, which expresses the truth that Jesus and his people will one day be personally present to each other. Personally present as full, renewed human beings. Now, I know a lot of folks say, well, no, I'm out of here. And they go to 1 Thessalonians 4, where Paul says, you know, we're going to get caught up in the air, and uh, we'll meet the Lord in the air. And, you know, and, and, and many Christians uh, believe that we're going to be taken into the air somewhere with Jesus, and then we're going to go. That's what they believe. Away from the earth. And I've come across so many who, that's their hope, that's their belief. But I have to ask the question, if that is our ultimate hope, to escape the earth, I just, I, I, it does not line up with what I read in the Bible. It doesn't line up with the narrative of the Bible because the biblical narrative is all about God being involved in this physical world. What I read in here is about God working in the lives of physical people. And so I think it's such an important thing. That's why we say read your Bible, study your Bible, because don't just do a surface reading of it. Sometimes you need to dig in, and sometimes we need to do a deeper dive when it comes to what we read in Scripture. Because Paul, when he, when he says that they get caught up in the air, he could very well have been speaking metaphorically because his time was so different to ours. And you know, in the ancient world, when the emperor would come to a province or to a state or to a city, you know, the people in, those city, in the cities in that area, they would come out and they would go to meet the emperor before he came into the city. It was regarded to be disrespectful or rude if you didn't, if you didn't go out to meet the emperor. You know, the emperor doesn't get to the city gates and nobody's come out to meet him. So the custom was that the people of the city would go out to meet the emperor. And so maybe Paul was, um, was, was using this metaphorically. I don't think that believers are going to get um, stay in the air and get there and then psh, planet's, planet heaven. I, th I think the point that Paul's making over here is that 
we, we may go out to meet our returning Lord, but we will, go, we will escort him back to his domain, to the place that we have come from. And I just want you to think about this this morning. Maybe you never have. I mean, just think about what you read in here. Why, why would God go to all the effort of raising up the patriarchs, of calling out Abraham, of promising that his descendants would be a blessing, and then working with Israel, taking Israel out of Egypt, getting them into the promised land, and over and over again tries, tries to get them to stop walking away from him? Why would God even bother? Why, why would God bother to become a human being and die on that cross and rise from the dead, and then empower the church, us, to be this beacon of, 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 of light, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Why would he empower us to be the body of Christ? I mean, it certainly seems that if you read the Bible, God really cares about this world. He cares about physical people. He cares about physical creation. He cares about physical matter. When I read this, I see that God cares about how history is unfolding, where it's all going to. He cares about it, and, and, and it culminates, you know, it's got to culminate in, in, in God, and that's what I see in the Scripture, in, in Him having this interaction with the physical. It's not like, oh, you go to heaven when you die. And that's where a lot of Christians, that's, the, that's, that's all they have up here. You go to heaven when you die. But, but what does that have anything to do with what you read in this book? To me, it just leaves, you know, it's just like, I don't, I don't understand it. It makes the biblical narrative irrelevant. A historical story about how a God is Emmanuel, God with us, in a physical world, with physical people, right? Um, should have a, a physical world with physical people ending to it. A culmination of all things. A coming together of the spiritual and the physical. But if our ultimate goal is to know Jesus so that when I die, I go to heaven, if that's the story, I, I find it troubling because we are supposed to be advancing this kingdom and reaching a world that are far from Christ. And it just doesn't quite line up with this. And if Christians don't have the story right in here about what our real hope is, we're, we're never really going to come to grips with this. Because if your idea is that when you die, you go, you go to heaven, to me it just, it just shows the problems that have afflicted Christianity. Because if that's your view, then your body is just a temporary thing. The world in which we live is just a, it's just, it's a temporary thing. We use it and, and that's it. It's done. Done and dusted. It's transitional. It's of no importance. In fact, when I was growing up, I remember really clearly at high school, I grew up in a pastor's home and my parents got caught up in a lot of this. Hal Lindsay's, the late great planet Earth. Anybody ever read it? I don't know. But when I was growing up, I got taught that if Jesus came back, right, and you were still alive, you'd kind of be suctioned up, you know, and Jesus comes and takes all the Christians to heaven, which is somewhere else, and then all of the poor people on the earth get to suffer tribulation and, and get the mark of the beast and all this kind of stuff and drink blood and, you know, I don't know. And so as a boy, I was taught that if you needed Jesus so that you could escape this world. That's what I was taught. That's what I believed. I remember being at high school. I'd never, ever been with a lady. 
as a high school boy, what do you think I was thinking? I was saying, God, don't take me yet. Don't come back yet. I had this fear, but I knew he was coming to get me. Take me out. But if that's your view of salvation, then it's transitional. Then the world is not important. Really, this physical creation is not important because it's something you use and, and, and you toss it away. And so I've come across Christians who, you know, um, will begin to talk to you about, you know, the welfare of people or the welfare of, of, of every creature on, on, the, on the earth. And, 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 and people have said to me, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You don't have to worry about those things. It's going to come to an end. It's going to burn up, right? You're paying attention to the wrong things. They'd say the world is impo- isn't important. Heaven's important. Don't worry about the world. Who cares about COVID? I'm out of here. <laughs> Gone. It's just going to be burnt up. Bang. And, 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 and in fact, Peter, Peter, in the book of Peter, talks about this destructive fire. But you would see that fire as destructive. You wouldn't dig deeper maybe and see it as a fire that purifies, as a fire that renews. And I believe that this is the message, this is the hope, that this is of a restored, renewed earth. That's our hope. But if your view of salvation is, um, you know, I, I need Jesus so I can get to heaven if I die, then, then the job of the church, or maybe the main job of the church, is just to get people saved. That's our job, get people saved. And in fact, that's the view of many churches. And I'm generalizing it. Yeah, it's not, not all, but for many, it's just that's what we do. What they do is they get people to raise their hands and say a prayer. Anybody want to give their life to Jesus today? Raise your hands, say a prayer. And that's where it ends. But that's what's important. That's the whole purpose of the church. And so for a person who's poor, you'd say, don't worry, the good news is in heaven. The streets are paved with gold. (laughs) You'll be rich. Or if you're sick, they'll say, don't worry, in heaven, you won't have the sickness anymore. And they don't actually pay any attention to the welfare or the state of being of those people right in the right in the here and now. The government can sort it out. Some charity, some non-profit. You know, our job is to get you the eternal ticket. Have you got the eternal ticket? I, I did say that you don't have to agree with me this morning. But I don't believe that that is the good news of the kingdom. And don't misunderstand me this morning. Part of our mission as Christians, is to invite people to make a decision for Jesus. That's part of our mission. But it's more than just a raised hand and a prayer. It is about a dependency on the Holy Spirit to soften a heart. It is for a person to truly have an encounter with God where they come and they surrender their lives to Him. Where they say, Lord, you come and be the leader of my life. It's about your rule and your reign in my life. I want to be like you. Listen, Coming to know Jesus is about the hard work of discipleship. And how many Christians today are not interested in the hard work of discipleship? It's a fluffy spirituality that they have. Becoming a Christian is about teaching people that God's gift of grace, yes, it is an unmerited gift, but following Jesus is going to require you to surrender your life to his rule and reign. And laying your life down in that way is not always easy. But it is freeing and it's life-giving when you do. You see, for me, when I read Scripture, the gospel, the salvation story is more than just an escape plan. And I don't believe that was Simeon's hope. It wasn't that he was going to die and get his pie in the sky. No. 
What satisfied his heart, what, what his hope was, was what he saw in the story of God. He knew the story of God, the long story of Emmanuel in a physical world with, 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 with physical people, a world with a physical history, a world which would have a culmination point, a beautiful ending which would be found in Jesus. I believe that's what Simeon saw as he held that baby in the temple. The hope of the New Testament doesn't draw a division between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. The hope of the New Testament is not salvation from the physical world. It is salvation of the physical world. It's not salvation from our physical bodies. It's a salvation and a transformation of our physical bodies. It's not a salvation from history. It, it's not that it has nothing to do with history. No, biblical salvation takes place in history with the transformation of history. That's what Advent is about, the incarnation. That's what Christmas is all about. This transformation has already begun in Jesus. And eventually it's going to be fulfilled when he appears again. The good news of God's rule and reign is not about getting a ticket out of here. The good news involves all of creation. It's the promise of life together with Jesus in a restored creation. God actually loves physical matter. He loves your body. He gave it to you. He, he, he loves the physical. He created it. In fact, God himself became physical matter as a man. He became physical matter. The word became flesh. The word took on our physicality. And who is the word? Yes, well done. It's Jesus. The word is Jesus. That's what the incarnation is all about. It's about God taking on our physicality. So physical matter is compatible with God dwelling in it, living inside. It's compatible with Emmanuel, God with us. Now, the thing is, we all know that physical matter is defective, isn't it? I mean, you know, you know this the older you get. Right? You, know, you know. Things don't work out the way they you know, don't work the way they... The, you, they used to work, hey Pete, you know? The older you get, the more defective things become, yeah? Your vision, your teeth fall out, you know, it, it breaks down. You, you run out of energy, you know? Eventually, you'll know that the end point is going to come where your body is going to die. And, and, and the process of getting there is the process of decay. You get wrinkles, and you vigorously try to get rid of those wrinkles. You know, my wife, if I have to show you her cupboard with all those creams, I don't know, is it your cupboard like that? Yeah? Like, go away, go away, go away. But it's a process. It's, it's, it's a process. And, and, and your body is, you know, your body parts are not what they used to be. And gravity takes over, you know. It's like, ah. You know? and, and it's not that our physical, that, that our bodies are bad. Not that physical matter is bad. But this is what we need to understand is that we live in a fallen universe. We live in a fallen environment. The physical matter that we have right now has been corrupted by the principalities and the powers. And, and I've spoken about this before, but if we have to go back to the beginning of the story, God in, entrusted these, these agents with, 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 with some authority over creation. And God's hope was that they would use that authority in line with His will. But instead, what happened is they rebelled. And now they're using that authority to work against the purposes of God 
and that has led to the corruption of physical matter. The problem is not with physical matter. God loves it. God loves it. In and of itself, it's good. And God has no intention of abandoning it. In fact, what salvation is all about in the New Testament, this, this, this hope that we have, is that God wants to redeem it all. God wants to redeem all of creation, not just humanity. And this is why Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, and we read these words. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. He uses a metaphor here of a woman in labor. He says, this is what's going on in creation. It's groaning. And he says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who already have the first fruits of the Spirit. We, what does that mean? The first fruits of the Spirit. It means that if you've making a decision to follow Jesus, it means if you've surrendered your life and laid down your life, the Spirit of God has come to take up residence in your life. You already have connection with God, God with you. And Paul says, even though you have redemption and it started and God has saved you, how many of you would say, I'm saved? That's what he's saying. Even though you know that you're saved, he says, you groan inwardly while we wait for adoption. The redemption of our bodies. And so we have this initial experience of, of redemption. We are the children of God, but we do not yet have the fullness of what a resurrected body will have. So things are not the way they're supposed to be right now. Creation is in a state of pain. You know, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul, actually, you can go read it. Paul talk, uh, uh, talks about how God right now is through his love as revealed through the cross that God is working right now. God's at work. He's working to reconcile everything to each other and everything to him, everything on earth and in heaven. You can go read it in Colossians chapter 1. But Paul says this about God in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9 and 10. He says, God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ. God has made known his plan. Who's he made known his plan through? The ones whose birth we celebrate this month. He's made known his plan through the person of Jesus Christ. And it's a plan for the fullness of time. The plan of God has been revealed through Jesus, where God is going to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God loves the earth. God loves the physical realm. He loves you and I. He loves our bodies. He created it. How many of you go home and say, I wish I didn't have this body. When I get a resurrected body, I hope I look like Tom Hanks or somebody. I don't know. You know? Brad Pitt. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Okay, let's not even go there. But God loves your body. He loves the physical and he is working to redeem it. He's working to save it. God is working right now to transform it. And that's exactly why Jesus had to be resurrected with a body. Just go back to that verse of Scripture, dude. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ. Jesus, when he came out of that tomb, had a resurrected body, but it was a physical body. Flesh. Blood, bone. He didn't come out of the tomb as a ghost. Ooh. Ooh. Actually, if you go read Luke, Luke 24, the disciples thought he was a ghost. Ooh. And they got all like, Ooh. and Jesus said, I'm not a ghost. He said, he said, he said, touch my hands, touch my feet. 
He said, does a ghost have flesh and bone? Jesus said that to them. <laughs> with Thomas. What did he do with Thomas? He said, yep, yep, yep. Feel the wound. Touch it. Feel it. They could touch him. Physical. That was Jesus' body. A resurrected body. It was a transformed body. The first body in history that has been set free from the corruption of the powers of darkness. The kind of body that God originally wanted us to have. It has um, qualities that the pre-resurrection body didn't have. Have you ever thought about this? The primary one is that the resurrected body never dies. Never going to die. The resurrected body doesn't go through this process of decay and wrinkles and atrophy. <laughs> you know, like our present earthly bodies do. It is a transformed body free from corruption. And it's a glimpse. This is the plan of God through Jesus Christ. It is a glimpse of what is coming in the future. God has promised that every one of us will have bodies like that. Jesus is the first. And I'm going to have a transformed body just like Jesus. Free from corruption. And that's the hope. That's the hope. Do you know what your Christian hope is? Our Christian hope is about the culmination of all things. Our, our, our Christian hope is about God bringing everything together, restoring it, restoring the heavens and the earth, a recreated earth. It's the hope of anyone who believes. It's a glimpse of what the coming creation will look like. It's going to be different to what we know now, that's for sure. I can't tell you what it's going to look like, but I, I do know that the resurrected body of Jesus operated differently from the one that he had before he was transformed. Right? So, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But the, the new earth does not replace the old earth. The new earth is the perfection of the old earth. In just the same way that Jesus' resurrected body didn't replace his earthly body. It was the same body, but it had changed. He didn't look like Brad Pitt. You know what he carried with him? The wounds. He had the scars in that resurrected body. His transformed body was the perfection of his earthly body. And this is how it's going to be with us. And that's why the scripture teaches your, temp your body is a temple of the spirit. So be careful what you do with it. I'm just saying that. Your body's beautiful. It's wonderful. You have a wonderful body, Billy. Yeah, me too. Both you and I. But the problem with these bodies is that they are under the corruption of a fallen world. They are under the corruption of the principalities and the powers. And so the good news is not that we're going to leave the earth and go to heaven. The good news is that we get to partner with God and we get to bring heaven to earth. And that's the way we've been taught to pray. And that is the trajectory of Emmanuel. It's not to escape the world, but it is to bring God's wholeness to the world, God's shalom to the world. That's what Jesus taught us when we pray. He said, pray this way, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come, which means let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The physical. And so by living our lives the way Jesus wants us to live our lives, we can actually bring a little bit of, a little bit of heaven into the world right now. It can be a reflection of what the world doesn't know right now. This is what it means to be a kingdom citizen, a, a kingdom individual, a person of the kingdom, the kingdom of God in you. 
We can bring some hope into this corrupted environment, and that's what Jesus has tasked us, us, us with. You know, um, it's exactly what Jesus did before he, he went to the cross. He brought a bit of heaven into, into people's lives. He would say things like, salvation has come to you. Today, salvation has come to this house. What has afflicted you before will afflict you no more. Jesus would say these kinds of things. It was an inbreaking sign of the fullness of his kingdom, a view of things to come. And every time Jesus did it, he paid attention to people's physical bodies, didn't he? He didn't go, hey, Bronwyn, how's your spirit today? Cool. Hey, Bert, how's your soul today? Jesus didn't do that. He met the, the felt need, the physical need of people wherever he went. And so if a person was blind, he... he um, he, that person was able, through that healing, to see, see the wholeness of God, God's shalom. If for a person who was lame, the good news was that they would be healed and they could walk again. The good news for somebody who was demonized was that Jesus would set them free. And that's why we are here. We are the body of Christ. And that's what we should be doing. Folk, I want to just challenge you this morning. Every one of us should have an eager desire in our hearts, just as Paul wrote in Corinthians. We should have an eager desire in our hearts for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be operating in and through us. Because when we do that, when we're available to God in that way, we bring a little bit of what's in future into the now. People are seeing something in the now that is completely foreign to them. So if somebody gets up out of a wheelchair and begins to walk, the world's going to go, What? And what we're seeing is a glimpse of things to come. This, this is what Jesus did. Everything in this corrupt, corrupted world, he, 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 he brought a little bit of transformation to the present. It was an example of what would be true later on. And so the more we desire God to move through us as the body of Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ... The more we have an earnest desire for the coming kingdom, so we have a desire for the gifts of the Spirit, so God can work through us, Isabel, and, God can, and the Spirit of God can tap you on the shoulder and say, go and pray for that person. And you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to pray for that person. And you're bringing something into the life of this person that they've never known, and it's a glimpse of the things to come. And, and you have been given that authority because you're a follower of Christ. But the question is, do you eagerly desire the gifts? Sorry for putting you on the spot. The more we do that, the closer we'll get to the kingdom. You and I should be beating a path towards the kingdom. We should be moving in that direction to the time when Jesus puts everything right. And so every one of us should, on a regular basis, be coming up against sickness, praying against it, standing against it, against disease and poverty, and everything that is not of the kingdom of God. We have the authority to push back on the powers of darkness and those principalities. And you and I can do that right now. If we know. But if we don't know, we'll never actually engage. In heaven, there are not going to be any hopeless people. And so we can, we can stand against hopelessness now. There's not going to be any immorality in heaven. So when immorality comes, I always say, well, this is not of the kingdom of God. Out of my way. I'm not going to have anything to do with that. When I see violence... No, the kingdom of God is a place of peace. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to be very careful about the kind of games that I play and the kind of violence that is on those games or the kind of movies that I watch that are wrecked and reeked and filled with violence. It's not of the kingdom of God. I can push back against it. 
Or I can entertain and let someone get a foothold. In heaven, there's not going to be prejudice. There's not going to be discrimination. There's not going to be oppression. Our job is to push back on that right now, to show the world what the coming kingdom is going to be like. And that's how we become salt of the earth. That's how we become the light of this world. Because we offer the world and people who are far from God something they don't have. Jesus cared for the physical well-being of people, and so should we. And when the kingdom comes in its fullness with the return of Jesus, what you see in Scripture is this. You read about um, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And basically, it's, it's, it's a transformed physical creation coming together with God's own presence. This is what John tells us in Revelation 21, verse 2 and 4. He says, I saw the holy city, the, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. Emmanuel, God with us. He will dwell with them. That's been the goal of God all the time. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them. In other words, we're going to be enveloped. We're going to be with God. We're going to live in the perfect love of God for the rest of eternity. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There's going to be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Those things will have passed away. You know, in John 14, Jesus tells us that he's going to prepare a place for us. And so many people believe that that's where Jesus lives. And if he's going to prepare a place for me, that's where I'm going to be going. But actually what Jesus is, is doing by preparing a place is he's going to bring it to us. The picture that we get in Revelation is of the holy city coming down from heaven to earth. And heaven right now, being God's space where, where Jesus is presently, is, is not somewhere within the space of our world. It's, it's a different place, a different realm, but it's a closely related space to where we are right now. Because even though heaven is a, is a different world from where we are in our physical understanding of earth, that realm intersects with every Christian in numerous ways. The inner life of every Christian. And the Bible paints a picture of these two worlds integrating completely where they will be fully visible to one another, producing a transformation that, that Paul and, and John speak about. The promise is not that Jesus is simply just going to reappear within the present order. The promise is about moving towards something, a culmination, where heaven and earth are going to join together in a new way, and he's going to appear to us, and we will appear to him, and we will appear to one another in our true identity. I know, you've got a lot of thinking to do when you go home today. A few more verses. 1 John 2, 28. John says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he is revealed, we may have confidence and not be put to shame before him at his coming. And in, in chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. That is the fulfillment. That is the culmination of all history. That is our ultimate salvation. That is our ultimate hope. I'm happy, I'm secure in the knowledge that when I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. I know that. And, uh, and I believe that'll be the case for all believers. But our, our real hope, and the hope that we should never lose sight of, is the ultimate hope. Life after life after death. I'll say it again, life after life after death. I know, hard. 
It's difficult. But there's a lot of stuff in here that we are yet to grips with. And I know it's difficult. You know, it's been more than 2,000 years since Jesus was on this earth. 20 centuries. It's a long time. And it's easy, isn't it? It's easy to lose that sense of expectation, that anticipation, that confidence. I've often wondered, I've, I've like, God, where are you? Are you, are you really, you know, what, is this going to happen, Lord, what I'm reading in Scripture? Are you going to come through? And I think that maybe Simeon would have had similar thoughts. You know, Israel had been inconsolable for eight centuries. But when he held that baby Jesus, he saw something deep connected with deep. He knew that salvation would come. And I just want to say as I, as I wrap it up, that for us at Christmas time, we can have the same assurance that God became a human being, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, the first transformed body. And this is a, this is a time of year when, when we should remind ourselves that there is a big story going on. There is a big story going on, and we've been invited to be a part of it. Don't neglect it. Educate yourself about it. God's not going to abandon creation. He loves it. He's going to redeem it. And our job as the body of Christ is to prepare the way for his return by modeling what will be true later on, by living in accordance with his rule and reign as kingdom people, anticipating a future bodily resurrection and a renewed earth. That was the hope of Simeon, and that should shape our hope today. And folk, I want to tell you, Peter tells us, he says, we can hasten the coming, the coming of God. Did you, do you understand what that means? What does it mean, Courtney? Quicken. So it comes quicker. We can hasten the coming of God. Jesus came and said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're invited into this kingdom. He says, if you step into this kingdom, you begin to live a different way. You begin to paint a picture of a different kind of world, a different kind of society. And I believe in my heart that as Christians, if we actually begin to live our lives as Jesus says we should, as kingdom people, we will hasten the return of Jesus Christ, just as Peter wrote. But it's up to us.